Hey, I'm glad you're listening to our podcast again, or if this is your first time, welcome. I'm Jeffrey, the preacher, and uh, this podcast, sometimes we do special stuff, but usually it is uh, my Sunday sermons, and this last Sunday I preached on the love chapter in 1 Corinthians, which is a feel-good chapter, until you learn some things that I preached on, which is that this is actually a rebuke in many ways of the Corinthian context because they are not loving rightly. So this is, I mean, everything in the Bible is absolutely essential, but this is really a helpful chapter for kind of assessing ourselves and, and the love that we feel and and um, show and, and how we are glorifying God or not. Um, so I, I hope you benefit from this. The whole point of doing this is to um, build up believers. And so, um, as always, I'm going to exhort you if you're a member of one of the churches I preach at, be with us as much as you can in person because it's in person that we can really minister to one another. But if you are a believer that belongs to another fellowship, I hope that this helps you participate more faithfully in your body. And then if you don't belong to a fellowship, I hope that as you're listening to my words that that the Lord works on your heart to bring you closer to a community of faith. The whole point here is learning to be in right relationship with Christ Jesus through the church that he has established. And so I, I, I hope that this is something that continues to work on you, that, that you are called into intimate relations with other true believers, and that that's something that you take very seriously and, and uh, work towards as the Holy Spirit works on you. So God bless you as you spend, as you spend time in the Word with me and my people, and um, uh I just pray a special blessing upon you in this time that uh, the Lord would speak powerfully to you and that you would feel like you would understand yourself to be being brought into his presence by the power of his word. So enjoy. Welcome to the No Water Methodist Church podcast, where we hope to encourage you in your spiritual journey so that you may be a blessing to your local church and to the world. As a general refresher, this letter is written by Paul to this church that he planted. It's not doing well. He begins uh, uh, admonishing them at the beginning for having factions. They're having factions dividing on a number of lines and a number of behaviors. And he's called them out for it along the line. He's done it with love and with truth. He starts with them having sort of a class thing around who... Uh, is adopting the wisdom of this world and looking good to the world versus who's willing to look foolish for Christ. He's talked about sexual ethics and who's willing to tolerate sexual immorality in the body of Christ versus who isn't. He's talked about food sacrifice to idols and who's willing to dance with the devil and who's not. He's talked about how they have communion and who is coming to the Lord's table selfishly gobbling up and drinking up what they want at the expense of others versus who is other minded and we've seen a lot of themes come up as he's made his way through namely that the mind of christ that we are called to all share remember at the very beginning i bet i i, I ask of you to all share in the same mind think about things the same way with the, the mind that is in christ jesus the thing he focuses on time and time again is is your life about you what makes sense to you what you want your feelings your thoughts your urges or is your life about god and his love 
and pouring that love out for others. These two things don't work together. We're going to have another chapter where he lines this out for us. I think it's been about the healthiest thing in the world that we've really taken our time going through these 16 chapters. We've been going through this for 14 weeks now. We had to spend two weeks on chapter 7 because it was so deep. I know there are some people who want to move along. I would submit to you that's because the word is working on you. We need this correction because we, like the Corinthians, are located in a culture that is trying to convince us that we're doing basically okay. That we can fit in with the world and be welcome in God's kingdom. That we can be respected by worldly people and honored in the body of Christ. What this book does is it humbles us and it says, no, you care only for God. Otherwise, you're an idolater. So this whole book is not written so that he's going, you're messing it up, you're screwing it up, you're damned, you're going to hell, just give up. That is not the point here. The point here is, I know you love Jesus. I know you love Jesus, but you're having a hard time aligning your love with the love of Jesus. So this is written so that you can adjust course. This whole chapter is about love. And as we said at the beginning of worship, everybody has love. There isn't anybody in the world who doesn't love. Love is, is something innate and born. We love our parents naturally, even if we don't like them. We love our children, even when they look at you and say, I hate you. We love them, you know. We love our culture. We want it to flourish. You know, there are people, did you know that anger and hatred are motivated by love? These are not opposites. The opposite of love is indifference. And indifference is only found in people that have loved so hard and been hurt so bad that they've chosen not to love anymore. Christians are people who love to the extreme. We love how Jesus loved. Somebody tell me about Jesus' love. What did he do for me to prove how much he loves me? He suffered and died painfully, embarrassingly on a cross for you and me. Is there any doubt that he loves us? He has proven it. He's been faithful. For us, the question is, how do we align our love with his love. Last week, chapter 12, Paul started focusing on spiritual gifts. And some people seem to be pretty full of themselves in Corinth that they can speak in tongues. Oh boy, they must be close to God because they can speak in tongues. Now, let's be clear, is speaking in tongues a real thing? Yes, it's in the Bible. Paul is not saying it's not a real thing, it's bad. It, there's, there's nothing in the Bible. I know there are probably cessationists here with us today who believe it was a real thing, but not anymore. There's nothing in the Bible that indicates that at any point it would stop. Well, actually, that's not quite true. Today, there is a point where he says it will stop, but we haven't reached that point yet. We'll come back to this. Tongues is a real thing. However, is that the only spiritual gift? And in fact, last week, if you were here, you saw that he actually ranks that at the tail end of spiritual gifts. And he didn't even stipulate all the spiritual gifts. He had, he had a couple different lists that, that matched up with each other, some. And he says, tongues is one, but he's going to come back to it in chapter 14 and explain why it's actually not that important. There are actually much more important giftings, and even those aren't good for anything at all unless they are sublimated under the banner of love. So, um, he, we're going to talk about prophecy, we're going to talk about tongues, we're going to talk about words of knowledge, but the point here this week is love. 
In the ancient Greek, there's three words for love. The one we're talking about is agape. We're not talking about eros, which is sexual in nature. We're not talking about phileo, which is, um, uh, it's more nuanced. Agape is this broader category of love that who defines my heart or God? Who defines what love is? My heart or God? So we read chapter 13, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 at weddings all the time because it's all about love and we're having loving feelings and we like to imagine that the love we have is blessed by God. The reality is there's only Christ Jesus love and any love outside of that is not good. There is love that is of this world and not worthy, and then there is God's love that lasts for an eternity. And so we're going to get into that eternal love language here in a bit. But this is one of those chapters that people love to hear because they don't realize it's an abuse, a, a rebuke. That what he lifts up here as he talks about what love is, and you look at the previous 12 chapters, you're going, hey, these are not qualities that the Corinthians have. And then when he talks about what love is not, well, heck, he's just been picking on all those things, saying that's what the Corinthians have. So he, he, this is uh, in the form of the, 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 the form of literature is called an encomienda, which is in praise of a virtue. But this virtue is lifted up as, as God modeling it and us trying to reflect it back but not doing a good job. So what we're going to do as we go through here, and he's talking about love, is we're going to reflect on our personal love, Everybody here loves. How much does my love reflect the love of Christ? And how much does the love we have in our fellowship reflect the love that is depicted here? So, and I'm just going to go ahead and own on the front end, I have not been perfected in love yet. As I give this sermon, as I read through this, I am not like Paul saying, follow my example. I have been perfected. I'm not doing that. Paul was perfected. He wrote these words. Well, we don't have to agree that he was perfected. If you want to argue, whatever. But he wrote these words because God made him worthy to write these words down. I am barely, I'm only preaching these things not because I'm worthy, but because they need to get preached, okay? But as you're convicted, I'm convicted just as much, if not more. I'm not up here because I think I'm perfect. All right, chapter 3, verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels... But I do not have love. I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. So he's talking about speaking in tongues here. On the day of Pentecost, remember, God sent his Holy Spirit and people spoke in other languages. They were real languages. Speaking in tongues is not speaking gobbledygook. It's other real languages. And on Pentecost, it was languages from other parts of the world. There also seemed to have been ancient believers that believed they could speak in angelic languages. That angels had other languages that through the power of the Holy Spirit, they were allowed to speak those as well. So he's, he's not discounting that. He's not arguing with that. He's saying you can do that, but if it's not motivated by Christ's love, anytime you see love, it's not, it's not us putting our love in here. It's us looking at true love, God's love. If it's not rooted in God's love, it's a, a clanging gong, a noisy symbol. So here's a good metaphor for what it's like if you speak in tongues, but you don't have love. Do you hear that? Do you like that noise? There's only one person in this room that likes that noise. It's me. I love this noise. If I'm alone in my office, I got this pen, I'm making this noise. But y'all don't like this noise, do you? And that's what speaking in tongues is like. Unless it's undergirded by God's love, 
God is not pleased by it, and the world is not benefiting from it. You might as well just be clicking a pen and thinking you're great because of it, okay? Now, let's get clear. Does God pour out his spiritual gifts on people that are not right with him? I think he does. One of the people who did me lots of harm a few years ago has been known to be the main person behind God healing other people. He restored eyesight to a person that I've talked to. He restored hearing to a person I've talked to. But the man was evil. He, well, he did some evil things. He did some things that there's no way that a saint would do. So I either have to go, well, he didn't heal them then, which good luck because there are people walking around telling me about what happened, or I have to understand that God pours the rain on the good and bad alike. There are lots of people who are not right with God, and yet he has chosen to use as a vessel anyway. I don't like that. It doesn't make any sense to me, but that's how he does things. Just because someone is speaking in tongues does not mean they're right with God. That's the thing he is correcting here. They are feeling pretty good about themselves because God is using them as a mouthpiece for all kinds of languages. Clearly the Holy Spirit is interacting with them, but they're biffing it. Y'all know what that means? They're messing it up. They're being given this holy encounter with God, and they're not getting any holier because of it. Okay? So it's like a person who... Um, uh, if, uh, we got some people who know the medical field. If you take antibiotics irregularly, is that good for you? No, that's going to ruin everything. That's going to build up antibiotic-resistant strains of all kinds of viruses in you. That's, it's going to make you worse. The whole point is you have to let a, 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 a good dosage exist in you for a while to get the job done. And that's what holiness is like. If you just dip your toes in every Sunday... If you just do it irregularly and then go back to an ungodly way of life, you're actually inoculating yourself against the Holy Spirit. That's what he's correcting here. There are people who think that they're growing in holiness because they do holy things sometimes. Not good enough. He's saying, if what you're doing glorifies God, you will see the love of God behind everything you're doing. If the love of God is not there, but every now and again the Holy Spirit just shows up and gives you something, you're not right with God. You should not take any comfort in that. That's what's under here. And then he's, he's making it less of a thing. He's saying, if I do this, he's not talking about them. He's not saying, if y'all don't have love, you're not pleasing God. He's saying, if I do this, but I don't have love, I'm not pleasing to God. Paul obviously had love under everything that he did. He's, he's standing from a place on the outside, pretending he's on the inside with them to an effect. Verse two, if I have the gift of prophecy and I can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but I do not have love. I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but I do not have love, I gain, everybody say it, nothing. See, to us, it seems like, hey, if I'm prophesying, I'm speaking in tongues, oh, I'm saying all kinds of words of knowledge. Oh, I have faith and I'm moving mountains. Uh, and I, I gave up all my, my money to the poor, and I've even given my body to be hurt. Like, surely that has to mean something, right? And what Paul says here is it matters this much if you don't have the love of Christ Jesus in your heart. Which is to say, you cannot earn your salvation. You cannot do anything to put God in your debt. You can only return the love that he has shown to you first. Did you love God first, or did he love you first? 
And he loved you so much you can never repay in full the debt that you owe. Amen? So all that we do is return what he has given us. And that does please him. It's a fragrant offering and sacrifice, our worship of him. But you can never earn your salvation. There is nothing you can do out of duty or obedience or wanting to look good to other people. No other motivation pleases him. The only motivation that pleases him is love. And the love that looks like his love. And what did Jesus' love look like? He, who though he was God, took the form of a slave and as a servant submitted to God and died painfully, embarrassingly for us on a cross. And because of that, because of his humility, because of his obedience, God raised him up to the highest heavens that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. Every tongue confess that he is God to the glory of God the Father. That's the kind of love that you and I are called to. That's the kind of love. It doesn't matter if you speak in tongues. It doesn't matter if God never gives you tongues. If you have love, you're all right. But if you don't have that love of Christ Jesus, it doesn't matter the miracle. You think of Jesus at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, right? He said, at the last day, people will come to me saying, Lord, 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 did we not prophesy in your name and do many miracles in your name? And I will say, he says, get away from me, you evildoers. I never knew you. Because for him, what he directs towards is, did you listen to my word? Did you obey my word? That obedience comes from love. And that's what Paul is focusing on here. As 1 John says, God is love. But we, we get that twisted in our head. We go, oh, I love my kids, so that must be the love that he's calling me to. Jesus himself says, why do you think it's special to love your children? Do not the publicans and sinners do that as well? Rather, love your enemies, right? We don't love people who it's easy to love, who it's natural to love. We're called to an unnatural, supernatural love of enemy, of those who hate us and persecute us, those who are annoying and uh, a burden. We are called to, to love as Christ loves because you know what? He loves me and I'm not easy to love. I'm not a good person. I'm not an easy person to love. It's only by God's power that I can be made worthy of salvation. Outside of that, I am, I'm, I'm not good. And once I fully appreciate that, that's what motivates me to love others that are not good, that are annoying, that hate me, that my flesh wants to hate. That's the kind of love that we're called to. So if I don't have love, these things are worth nothing. That's the word it said, right? And nothing in the Greek means nothing, okay? It's, it's not something lost in translation. Verse 4, love is patient. Ouch. We live in a culture that thinks patient people are chumps. We don't wait. We go, give it to me now. I want it now. If you don't give it to me, I'm going to go over here. People are like that with churches. I want you to make me feel good about myself right now. Don't make me wade through all this scripture and get sanctified. Make me feel good about myself right now. Tell me I'm right with Jesus, and I'll give you a little bit of money, and we'll call it even. That's not the game we're playing right now. Patience is a virtue that we don't talk about, but we deeply need Love is patient. That means it forbears, right? It takes its time. It doesn't insist on people going at my pace. Rather, it's going at the pace God has designated. Love is patient. Love is kind. So patient is a, passion, uh, a passive response to God's love. Kindness is an active response. It's doing good for other people. Showing love to other people who don't deserve it. Love is kind. It does not envy 
Heck, guys, we're living in a country, in a culture built on envy. This so corrects us. Envy is looking at other people and what they have and wanting it for ourselves, right? It violates the 10th commandment, you shall not covet, right? Don't do that. If you're doing that, that exposes that God's love is not in you. Don't be envious. Be grateful for what you have. That's hard. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. When people boast, are they thinking about themselves or other people? Themselves. And that's what he's correcting over and over again. How much of your headspace is focused on you versus others? If you're focused on others, you're not going to boast. You don't have room for that. You don't have time for that. You don't have energy for that. Don't boast. Love doesn't boast. It is not proud. That's related. It does not dishonor others. So here's, he's, he's getting real personal here because he just said in the previous chapters, they're dishonoring others that don't speak in tongues, making them feel like second-class citizens. They're dishonoring others who can't get to the Lord's Supper early and they're eating their food so that there's very little left. They're dishonoring others as they bring their sexual sin into the community, and that affects all of them in their walk with God. He says, love doesn't do that. You think you love, but what you're doing is hateful. That's the, that's the thing underneath, undergirding all of this. So he's, he's not saying the silent part out loud. He's just saying, love doesn't do this. And then in the previous chapters, he's been focused on how they're doing this. Does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. So remember, that's how he's called them out with the Lord's Supper. They're thinking of themselves and not others. That's what he called them out on uh, eating the, at the table of demons. They're thinking of their own hunger and not the way that, that eating food designated to idols is going to affect others. You see how this is all related? I always thought that this was like a timeout, and he just wanted to talk about how great love was. I didn't realize how connected it was to what comes before and what after. It is not easily angered. So he's talking about all these people breaking into factions. They're obviously angry at each other. He's saying, hey, if you've been easily getting angry, you don't have the love of Christ in you. And it keeps no record of wrongs. If you want to destroy a relationship, keep a record of wrongs. I'll tell you, I mean, it's a wonderful thing in a marriage whenever you're coming at the partner and they did something wrong and they say, you got a problem with what I did. What about what you did last week? And we still haven't figured out what you did a year ago. And all these things in between. Let me tell you about all the resentments I've been keeping against you. Is that a happy marriage right there? But it's not just marriages. People are like that with parents. People are like that with kids. People are like that with neighbors, with coworkers. It's a pretty normal thing for people to hold on to resentments. And every now and again, just get them out. Admire them. Oh, yeah, I have this. I have this against this person, I have this against this person, and nobody can hold anything against me, I got something worse against them. Friends, if that's a game you're playing, you lose. There isn't any way to win that game. That's going to poison everything. Do not keep a record of wrongs. Um, sorry, verse 6, love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. There is a confusion around this one. I've heard the uh, German word schadenfreude brought up. That's when you take joy in something painful happening to somebody else. Is schadenfreude always a sin? I would say not. I would say sometimes God's justice is poured out on people here and now, and man, that can be great. When there's somebody who's doing people wrong and God's justice is not saved for the day of judgment, but we get to see it right now, that's pretty great. 
that's, that's pretty great. What it says here is, don't rejoice in evil. So what it's talking about here is when injustice takes place, whenever there is a wrong taking place, when someone didn't deserve to get hurt, if we're rejoicing in that, that's not good. So if I've got a grudge against somebody and they get in a car accident, well, it well, no, that's a bad example. Let's let, get away from that. Um, oh, it's too complicated. I shouldn't have tried to do a, a specific example. You have to search your heart on that. Were they doing God offense? Are you, you know, as King David said, teach me to hate those whom you hate. Teach me to love those whom you love. If there's someone who's offending God and there's punishment comes their way and you see it, I don't think that's a sin. If there's somebody who's trying to seek the Lord but you just don't like them and something bad happens and it gives you joy, well, there's something wrong with your heart. Verse 7, it always protects. I think that's a good principle. I don't think I need to go into that one. It always trusts, it always hopes, it always perseveres. This trusting and hoping thing. I've heard people use this to kind of bless a Pollyanna-ish way of going through life, where just believe everybody. Just trust that it's all going to work out. Just trust everybody has good intentions. Jesus does not call us to be morons, okay? I know we're called to look like fools to people of the world, but we're not called to sanctify things that are not holy. We're not called to believe things that are untrustworthy. We're not called to create room for people who've made it clear that they don't deserve that room, that they're going to abuse that room. When it's talking about always trusting and always hoping, it's not talking about other people. It's talking about God. Always trust in his word. Always hope in his promises. Verse 8, love never fails. That also is re regularly misunderstood. A lot of people think if I have the right love in my heart, I'm going to get what I want. That's the prosperity gospel message right there for you. If, you. if you please Jesus the right way, he'll give you the desires of your hearts. No, that's not what happens. The Greek word here, instead of fail, it means fall. That's a closer meaning. And whenever you read, say, Psalm 1, it's the wicked who fall on the day of judgment. What it seems to be clearly referring to here is love on the day of judgment does not fall away. It doesn't disappear. Love continues to the next stage in history. So love does not fall, doesn't fail, but where there, are where there are prophecies, they will cease. He's saying when Christ comes and we see him face to face, there are things in this time that are going to fade away. They're going to end. One of them, it says, is prophecy. There's not going to be any point to it anymore. No more prophecy after Christ comes. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Same thing. No purpose to tongues later. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. Now, that's not to say we're all going to lose all our knowledge, He's going to complete the thought here. Verse 9, for we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. So the notion is not that it disappears. The notion is that it is completed. So prophecy is pointing towards a fullness that we don't yet know. Tongues are pointing to a fullness that we don't know, yet know. These words of knowledge, similarly, these are things that on the day of Christ's coming will be fulfilled. You know, so it's like Christ Jesus saying, I didn't come to, to cancel out the law. I came to fulfill the law. But on the day of judgment, the law is not going to be needed anymore. Actually, the law is already not needed because of Christ Jesus. Same concept here. On the day of Christ's appearing, we won't need prophecies, tongues, words of knowledge anymore. Verse 11. When I was a child, 
I talked as a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put away, put the ways of childhood behind me. Is it a sin to be a child? No. You can't be anything other than a child when you're a child. It is a sin to act like a child when you're an adult. It's a sin to be childish when you're an adult, not childlike. We are called to be childlike as, as uh, believers. But here the notion is we are in the child stage of history. We're in the, the last days between Christ's first and second comings. And right now we're children. We only get to see and hear and know things in part. It's not for us to fully know these things. So it is not a sin for us to be children. We're all children right now. We don't see things in completeness. Verse 12, for now we see only a reflection in a mirror. But then, that day in the future, the coming day of judgment, then we shall see face to face. Now I know only in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. I never fit these things together the way that I did this week. I didn't see how it was connected to what came before and what after. And I didn't see how it is that love is a supernatural, it, the word is eschatological. The eschaton is last things, the final judgment. There are things that last after death and judgment and into the next world. When you love as Christ loves, you do something eternal. You do something eschatological. You do something that will not be burned away when the heavens and earth are burned away. You do something that brings you close to Christ and in fact binds you to Christ forever. Love seems like an ordinary thing for us. The love of Christ is an extraordinary, otherworldly, eternal thing that makes us godly, angelic. Verse 13, and now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is that stained glass window, uh, if you look at the top left, it's to the right of that one, has the cross, the anchor, and the heart. Those are Christian symbols for faith, hope, and love, if you didn't know that. So that window right there is to be reminding us regularly of this last verse of chapter 13 in 1 Corinthians. The reminder, faith and hope, they point towards that future day, but love lasts past. Those three things orienting us along with these other principles established here will set us right. The hope I have as I'm preaching through these things is not that people just feel guilty and then go home and go, well, that stunk. What's on TV? The hope is that this is a purifying thing. You know, like when you, when you exercise and you sweat, your body is getting rid of toxins, if you didn't know this. And that's what we're doing right now. We're doing a group exercise class, okay? This is like Kimbo, spiritual Kimbo. I don't know. People don't even do Kimbo anymore. I don't know. But this is a group exercise class, and we're allowing the spiritual toxins to come out of ourselves so that we can be purified as we go to our homes. But one thing is exercise. Another thing is a healthy diet. And I know this is a tacky metaphor. But we have to take the right things in even as we expel the bad things. And so Christ has given us a sacrament to take Christ into ourselves. And so we talked a couple weeks ago about how that's rightly done. We have to acknowledge none of us is worthy in the sense that we are pure and good and, and Christ owes this to us. But we can be worthy in the sense that we repent of our sins and we seek a right heart with God and one another. So Christ our Lord invites to this table all who love him, 
all who earnestly repent of their sin and all who seek to live in peace with one another. Therefore, let us confess our sin before God and one another. Merciful God, we confess that we have not loved you with our whole heart. We have failed to be an obedient church. We have not done your will. We have broken your law. We have rebelled against your love. We have not loved our neighbors, and we have not heard the cry of the needy. Forgive us, we pray. Free us for joyful obedience. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.